In today's episode, we learn about the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, not the whole alphabet, just the eighth letter, actually, to be specific. We discover why a menorah is actually not quite the right light for Hanukkah. We talk about the Maccabees and what they had to do with this holiday, and we discover why there are so many fried foods consumed during Hanukkah, all on the way to answering the question, how do you pronounce Hanukkah? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. You may well listen to the question for this episode and say, pronounce it. I just want to know the correct way to spell it. Okay, so let's start there. Best I can tell, there are two primary ways of spelling the word, and then somewhere around, who knows, maybe 20 potential other alternative spellings. And if you listen to episode 41 of this podcast, you will have heard me confess my struggles with spelling. You will get the irony of my choosing this as a starting place for this podcast. On the positive side, in preparing for this episode, I discovered that no matter how I spelled the word, Google found multiple hits for that spelling. Seriously, we need more words like this. So Hanukkah, as in H-A-N-U-K-K-A-H, seems to be the most popular and widely used spelling today, with second place going to C-H-A-N-U-K-A-H. Okay, but... We have number one, we have number two, we have maybe 20 alternative spellings. Why all the differences? Let's be honest, the Jewish faith has been around for a while. You think they'd have sorted this out. Can't they just pick a spelling and stick with it? So as we delve into this discussion, our word for the day is transliteration. Okay, that's actually our English word for the day. Obviously, Hanukkah is our word for the day. We all know What the word translation means, you take the meaning of a word or a phrase in one language and you state its meaning in another language. So, when the vast majority of us read, say, scripture, we're reading a translation. The words we are reading is in our own language and are there to help us understand the meaning of the original texts. But occasionally, stuck in the middle of scripture, is a transliteration. And that's when there's a word that hasn't been translated into, say, English for us, but instead has been transliterated, meaning its sounds have been transferred, best they can, into our alphabet. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he cries from the cross, and in Scripture, it has his actual words just spelled out in our alphabet. So when Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Those words mean, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But at that point, someone decided those words were so important that we didn't just need a translation. People needed to actually hear the words. Those original words are being represented once again, best they can, into our alphabet. Which is why even our English translations don't agree when it comes to consistent spelling Of that transliteration. Matter of fact, if you open some passages, it will spell the first word as 
Eli, E-L-I, and other translations will spell that first word as Eloi, E-L-O-I. So we also struggle with having consistent transliteration in terms of our spelling. The problem for transliteration comes when there's no equivalent. Sometimes a letter or a sound in one language has no similar letter or sound in another. So, for example, the Hebrew alphabet has a letter, the eighth letter, which is chet, which just so happens to be the first letter in the word Hanukkah. Now, I should say at this point, I'll tell you a brief story. When I was a teenager growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee, I'd often listen to the college football games on the radio on Saturday afternoons or Saturday morning when they were played. And the voice of the Tennessee Volunteers was John Ward. And he would often say, Tennessee has the ball. It's first and 10 on their own 30-yard line. They're moving from right to left across your radio dial. It was just a helpful, clever way of letting the listener know which way things were moving. In this case, we're also talking about moving from right to left, except we don't have a radio dial, as we talk about the first letter of the word Hanukkah. It's helpful to be reminded that the letters of the word are being read from right to left, as is traditional for the Hebrew language. So the first letter of the word Hanukkah is Chet. And if you were to write this sound in our Latin alphabet, how, how would you go about it? Well, some people thought the closest sound was the CH sound, as in Loch Ness Monster. And the CH in Loch is somewhat close, so this transliteration makes sense. Except when many people began to read a CH at the beginning of the word Hanukkah, they didn't say C-H as you would hear in Lach. They said C-H as you'd hear in chair. So the word Hanukkah became Chanaka, which was far more wrong than right. So some folks came along and decided to switch the spelling to begin with an H. And an H is right if it's a kind of guttural H rather than a breathy one. So in Hebrew, if you're in Israel, the correct pronunciation, and remember who you're listening to this from, so this is as close as I can get, is if you were to say this holiday is Hanukkah, Hanukkah. And in English, well, if you want to stick with Hanukkah, that's just fine. That's okay. A little more correct would be Hanukkah, Hanukkah, adding a little breathiness in the back of your throat, a little guttural sound. Just as long as you don't add that CH from chair at the beginning, which is just flat wrong. Also, Hanukkah isn't Jewish Christmas. Yes, it happens at roughly the same time of the year. But you know, if my neighbor buries his mother the same week as my birthday, I don't talk to him about the funeral being like his mother's birthday. That's what I'm doing, not what everybody else is doing. And even if you hear Jewish people refer to it in this way as a joke, just think of it as that's their joke to make, not yours if you're not Jewish. Just don't do it. Also, it's worth noting that Christians don't ever describe their holy day as Christian Hanukkah. 
They just don't, ever. So if it doesn't go one way, it probably doesn't work the other way. Okay, so if Hanukkah is not Christmas, what is it? Well, it isn't Christmas, but that isn't to say that some of its flavor that you and I see and that's experienced in this day and age in our community isn't affected by its proximity on the calendar to the Christmas celebration. First, for people who aren't Jewish, it may well be the most famous of all Jewish holidays and festivals for non-Jews. And in truth, it's a relatively minor one, but because Jewish people are celebrating Hanukkah about the time we Christians are preparing for and celebrating Christmas, we have a tendency to assume that it must be as important to them as our celebration is to us. Also, decorations and presents are also an accommodation to the proximity of Christmas. Like, you can go to a store right now and buy a strand of decorative Hanukkah lights. And there are gifts being given and exchanged on Hanukkah. In Christianity, there is some historical tradition of gift-giving associated with Christmas. Remember, the three wise men. But not so much with Hanukkah. So where did the tradition develop? Well, first, though gift-giving was not traditionally a part of this particular holiday, this celebration, almsgiving was. It was traditional to make a donation of funds so that those people who were Jewish but couldn't afford to have candles in their home could afford to do so. So gift-giving was not a tradition. But charitable giving was. Today, one of the traditions is to give chocolate coins wrapped in gold foil. These are called gelt and trace their roots back to the tradition of almsgiving. Also, you can imagine what it was like to be the Jewish kid in the neighborhood during Christmas time. Around the 1920s, Yiddish newspapers in the U.S. began to encourage Jewish parents to include gift giving as a part of their Hanukkah celebrations. The papers openly stated their rationale, and one said it is to command the attention and affection of Jewish children. By the 1950s, the tradition was fairly widespread across the U.S. It's a tradition today that gifts are given each night of Hanukkah. So gift-giving, as a part of this celebration, is cultural rather than religious in its origin. Interestingly, as a non-Jew, I was always jealous of the Jewish kid in our class because for more than a week, he came to school each day with a new gift or talking about the gift he got last night. And I always wished we could stretch our gift giving out over several days. Now, I admit, it was purely the mercenary mind of a kid at work. It just seemed like a way to get more stuff. Okay, so if Hanukkah isn't Christmas, then what is it? Well, in the 2nd century BCE, the land of Israel was being ruled by the Seleucid Greek Empire. And the emperor, Antiochus III, well, for an occupying emperor, he was a pretty good guy, at least as far as the Jews were concerned. He allowed the Jewish people a certain amount of religious autonomy, which was hugely important. Then his son, 
Antiochus IV came to the throne and he outlawed Judaism, took over the temple in Jerusalem, installed an altar to Zeus, and sacrificed pigs at this new temple. Needless to say, the Jews did not like this guy near as much as his dad. Okay, that was way too light. For those of us who are Christian, there is no building that holds the same place in our hearts that the temple did for the Jewish people. It's impossible to overstate how deeply offensive this act of sacrilege was for the Jewish people. In the midst of this oppression, a group of Jewish rebel warriors arose who we today know as the Maccabees, and they started the Maccabean Revolt. In an unlikely turn of events, this small group of ragtag warriors began to have success against their much stronger, better trained, far better equipped opponents, culminating in their retaking Jerusalem and the temple, which ushered in a new dynasty, the Hasmonean dynasty, a period of self-rule and autonomy for the Jewish people. When they took back Jerusalem and the temple, they cleansed it of the signs of Greek idol worship, and they rededicated the space to God. And one of the things they did as a part of this rededication was they lit the menorah, the candelabra, in the temple. But they had a problem. Because of the battles they'd been going through, resources were scarce, and they only had a small amount of oil. It was not enough to keep the menorah lit. It was just enough of oil to light it symbolically and then, sadly, have it go out shortly thereafter. But much to their surprise, the menorah didn't go out. It kept burning, burning long, long, long after the oil should have been spent and the light extinguished. Instead of lasting only part of a day, the menorah miraculously burned for eight days until more oil could be found. To the Jews, this is, as I have said, a relatively minor holiday, but it's still a popular one. The story speaks of overcoming, overwhelming oppression, and then being given a divine sign that they were not alone in their struggles. God was with them. Hanukkah, the celebration and remembering of this remarkable event, takes place for eight days because that's how long the oil burned. In the evening of each day of Hanukkah, a candle is lit, and for this reason, it's also known as the Festival of Lights. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the traditions associated with Hanukkah. It is traditional to make latkes during Hanukkah. They're potato and onion pancakes. It's also traditional to make and eat donuts. And there's a reason behind these foods. Because the story revolves around oil, they eat a lot of food that's fried in oil as a part of this celebration. Okay, are you ready to become really knowledgeable? So a menorah is the Hebrew word for candelabra. So on Hanukkah, they do light a menorah, but that's really not specific enough. What they light is a specific menorah for this occasion called a Hanukkiah. A Hanukkiah has Eight candles, one for each day the oil burned. Now, if you look at one, you will notice immediately that it actually has nine candles. One is simply the helper candle, 
put there in the middle of the others to use as a lighter for the other candles. And before anybody gets indignant that an eight-candle Hanukkah actually has nine candles, or decides to make some joke about not being able to count to eight or nine, however you see this, you should, if you're a Christian, just take a moment and sit down at your calendar and count the number of days from Ash Wednesday to the Saturday before Easter. Just so you know how many days are in those 40 days of Lent that we talk about. And you'll discover that the 40 days of Lent has 46 days. But that's the subject of a future podcast. And evidently, we all went to the same school of counting. Just know that a Hanukkah is special. And if you look at an Israeli coin, you will see a menorah. And it has six, really seven, places for candles. Not eight, really nine, that you will find on a Hanukkah. The six-branch menorah is what would have been used in the temple, and it's the more traditional form of the Jewish menorah. The eight is special and is just used to celebrate Hanukkah. Okay, and then, of course, there's the dreidel, which is a four-sided top that has a Hebrew letter on each side. The four letters represent the sentence, which is, a great miracle happened there. But, and this is a little bit of trivia for you, but if you happen to be in Israel and you buy your dreidel there, it's going to be slightly different because the four letters on a dreidel in Israel represent the sentence, a great miracle happened here. I don't think I need to explain that one. I was always jealous, as I said, of the eight days of Hanukkah from a distance in terms of the gift giving. The whole spinning of a top as a game It just felt like something that an adult made up and told kids they were supposed to think was fun. Now, that's totally me from a distance, and I know nothing about this. And actually, I have friends who, when I will tease them about this, swear that the dreidel is a lot more fun than it looks from the outside. So I'd like to try it sometime. I hope this has been helpful, learning a bit more about the festival of Hanukkah. It certainly gives you the ability to be more aware of what this is about for your Jewish brothers and sisters. And it also gives you the ability when celebrating Christmas and a friend or a family member says, well, what is Hanukkah anyway? And someone answers, oh, it's just Jewish Christmas. You can share your knowledge, impress your friends, and hopefully expand the awareness and sensitivity of some others as well. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. And be sure to check me out on Facebook. Just search for SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>